Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we continue our reflections into Christopher West's work, Fill These Hearts, which is a commentary on John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And my dear friends, a work that is so relevant today, huh? There are so many questions that people are asking about the nature of man, about the nature of marriage, and I can never endorse enough John Paul II's Theology of the Body and the many works written in light of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We have gone through some of those. Certainly, the love that satisfies. This work fill these hearts. You have heard me talk about uh, Edward Sree's work, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. There are so many works out there that I can never again encourage enough for you to read because why? We need to be able to have that conversation with people. We need to be able to have that dialogue because in 2015, there is a lot of propaganda out there about marriage, and we need to start going there, having that conversation, and helping people understand the wonder, the beauty, and the gift that is marriage. So uh, with that, um, it is uh, Wednesday evening, and I have Derek Allen with me. So Derek, great to have you with me another evening. Thanks for having me back, Joe. Always uh, enjoy being here and doing this with you. Derek, here we are in Section 2, Chapter 8, In the Beginning, which again, Section 2 is about design, right? And as we were just talking, what really struck me about this chapter is that he seems to pull back and kind of give bigger picture stuff. Yeah. Uh, I I thought the image of the uh, puzzle was quite important, huh? That once the border is in place, it is that much easier than to fill in the center. Essentially, his point was, without the border to frame the puzzle, it is easy to become discouraged by what appears to be a bunch of random puzzle pieces. And this really struck home with me, uh, Derek, because I have four kids, as our listeners know at this point. And I was working with my youngest son just the other day on a 50-piece puzzle. Now, not too bad, right, for a four-year-old. And uh, he was getting quite frustrated because he just wanted to start putting the pieces together. He didn't want to start with the border. And once I showed him the importance of starting with the border, what happened? Well, the puzzle itself started to come into view. That is to say, all of these puzzle pieces weren't just a bunch of random pieces. No, he was seeing one puzzle piece in light of the other. And that is what Christopher West is talking about as it relates to our faith. We need to be able to create that border. We need to build that frame so we know where those other pieces go. You know, all this talk about puzzles, I'm reminded of a a prank I pulled on someone once. They were putting together about a 250-piece puzzle, Mm. and I took it upon myself to hide one of the pieces (laughs) when they weren't looking. Sure enough, after about a week of their work, they had finished this entire puzzle, sans one piece, and... I think it's important to remember that if, if we do the framing, if, if we look at the Christian life and we try to frame it up as Christopher West is alluding to, that God won't hold back any pieces, mm. that he'll mm. fill in the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not 
trying to entice us so that he can trick us. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's enticing us to a greater vision, to um, a, to a holier life. That's right, Derek. We are given the grace, and we have to respond to that grace, huh? We have to cooperate in that grace. You know, as it relates to this need to create a border, to create a frame, to really get a sense of what the bigger picture is about, what do we have in the Christian and Catholic faith that helps us with that? But the Catechism itself, the Catechism is actually a beautiful example of how the Church frames her teachings. If you were to look at the Catechism, it is broken up into four parts. The first is the creed, huh? what we believe in. The second is the sacramental economy, the sacramental life of the Church. The third part is our life in Christ with uh, the Ten Commandments. The fourth is a prayer. So in the four pillars of the Catechism, you have systematic theology, sacramental theology, moral theology, and spiritual theology these four pillars that make up the essence of what our faith is about. And when you study the Catechism, you'll find it very easy to read. Why? Because it is framed so well. It has set up its borders, if you will. It has laid its foundation properly. Well, and and the Catechism gives you those in that order for a reason. Yes. Imagine how confusing, how much more confusing the Catechism would be if it started with spiritual theology. Yeah. If it started with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and and talking about that, and then went to the Creed. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. (laughs) No, it really wouldn't, and it it highlights how moral theology in our life in Christ is hinged to uh, the Creed. And all of these things that we are talking about now, I think, help illustrate the essence of what Christopher West is after, which is once you put the key pieces in place, the essence of it will come into view. And taking it to Scripture, taking it to Christ and His architectural advice, build your house on a firm foundation, mm. not Amen. on sand. Amen. Um, and that's really kind of what Christopher West is getting to, is, yeah. is establish that foundation, that border, so to speak, and then journey with God to fill in those details. Yeah, and it's interesting, if you were to go into the Old Testament, uh, you find wisdom can also mean craftsman, right? God is Father but he is also creator, crafting creation. From the mind and heart of God comes the genius of who he is as creator as well. Now, we've talked about the border and the frame. So what is the frame that helps make sense of who we are as male and female, huh? but marriage itself? The Bible begins and ends with marriage. We know the story of creation the story that tells of the marriage between Adam and Eve as the high point of creation in Genesis. How about the marriage between Christ and the church as the high point of redemption found in the book of Revelation, huh? Revelation 19, 7 and following the marriage supper of the Lamb. So again, the Bible begins and ends with marriage. Well, and of course, you know, God being the great author that he is, and the scriptures inspired by him, what do they do? They come full circle. Mm-hmm. They start with that marriage in the garden, and they end with that marriage between Christ and the church, Christ and each and every one of us. You know, Derek, I think it would behoove us to consider what the word testament means here. We're talking about Genesis and the book of Revelation, the Old Testament and New Testament. We're talking about God's love. Well, what does the word testament mean? Well, we think maybe to testify on behalf of someone, right? Well, God is testifying on behalf of his love. 
right? God is revealing to us who He is as love. Remember, testament can also mean covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a compact agreement. Well, God elevates our understanding of covenant as a compact agreement to something that is relational. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. We have that great passage that comes to us from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and following. The only time where you see the new covenant in the Old Testament, when Jeremiah is talking about the coming of the Messiah, and the law will no longer be written on stone, but will be etched onto the heart. You see, in the new covenant, God will give us his very self. That is what we're talking about here. Which, you know, in the Old Testament, we have an entire book, the Song of Songs, um, literally between two love, you know, a man and a woman who are in love with each other. But spiritually, figuratively, it is God and us. And I think it's important for us to realize, you know, to remember that the Old Testament is often mirrored in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. though we don't have, you know, a letter from St. Paul about this great romantic love, what do we have? We have the Eucharist. Yes, we yes. have the sacrament of love, um, that sort of marriage between the flesh and the word, um, which John Paul, Saint John Paul II, so aptly called the source and summit of our faith. Yes, yes, yeah. And Christopher West talks about the Song of Songs here, and I just wanted to to read um, some of his his words here because he speaks to it so beautifully. He says the Song of Songs is first and foremost a duet between passionate human lovers. But it is also, as countless saints attest, an image of the passionate love God has for us and we are meant to have for Him. And this means desire for nuptial union originates not just with the human bridegroom in the Garden of Eden, but with the divine bridegroom in the Garden of Heaven. It is God's desire for union with us that brought the cosmos into being and us with it. We exist because God wants to make a gift of Himself to us because God wants to share his own infinite goodness and bliss with us. And that bliss is what we desire at our deepest level. That is the true object of every aspiration of Eros. And here, Derek, he closes, being a Christian then means learning how to direct Eros toward that which truly satisfies the nuptial union of Christ and his church. You know, Earlier I had mentioned Christopher West pulling back in this chapter, and he really does, because as we have addressed in past programs, this book is about desire, design, and destiny. What are we talking about? Well, desire is what we long for, what we ache for, right? Uh, Design is what we um, are created for, and destiny is what we are headed for. And what speaks to that more beautifully than marriage itself? And... I think it's important for us to remember that marriage is the example, marriage is not the means. Because if, you know, as you were talking, the person who came to mind who I think really exemplifies those deeds the most would be St. Augustine. Mm. St. Augustine Mm. never married. But look at a man who was desiring in all of the wrong places. Yeah. Who was finally able to fill that, have that desire filled by God and the way his life changed from that. You know, it's a really powerful example for us to remember that, you know, whether we live a married life, single life, religious life, that we are all married to Christ, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that he calls us all to greater holiness, and that he is the way to that holiness. Yeah, and this is why 
uh, all those who are consecrated in the religious life and certainly the priesthood are a sign of what is yet to come. And by that I mean their sacrificial love, because when you talk about desire, design, and destiny, one points to the other, right? Oh, yeah. Desire points to destiny. In light of that, we are made to think about sacrifice. In light of that, we are made to think about the deeper meaning of marriage itself. In the book of Song of Songs, yes, it is um, a duet about passionate lovers, but that passion isn't reduced to our humanity. No, in fact, it orients us, yes, it draws us to other, yes, and as it does, it helps us to learn the language of love. Well, and I mean, for our listeners who were with us during the last book, how many times did we talk about Eros being the flame for that, or that spark for that self-sacrificial love? Yes, yes. And, and here we have it, Song of Songs again, a chapter of that spark. Mm-hmm. Or not a chapter, but an entire book in the Old Testament of those sparks um, meant to call us to that sacrificial love. Yeah, Eros is that human erotic love, right? And Agape is that divine sacrificial love one pointing towards the other. And in many ways, Derek, this is what lies at the heart of theology of the body, because it helps us better understand how those marriages last, right? Because if it was just about the eros, then what would we have, right? But as John Paul II has taught us well, and certainly it's rooted in sacred scripture, in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32, when man learns to lay down his life, like Christ did for his church, that marriage will be well on its way. You know, it's interesting looking at um, these last three popes that we've had. We've got St. John Paul II, this, this pope writing about our desires, theology of the body. Then Pope Benedict XVI talking about our design, how we are meant to live this eros for agape. Mm-hmm. And now we have Pope Francis who is really encouraging us. You have this desire in your heart for God, God wants to fill that desire. Now take it into the world. Mm-hmm. Take it, spread it to your friends, spread it to your families. Take that joy that you have that is you know, intoxicating, that is attractive as Christians, and spread it. Mm. Yeah, you know what? That, that fits for sure, Derek. I, I had written a reflection some months ago on the last three popes and how you can understand them within the moral virtues, um, hope, faith, and love. Not that any one of the popes lack any of the moral virtues, but there's a certain pronouncement, and that's the point I want to make. You know, with John Paul II, there is a certain pronouncement of hope. With Benedict XVI, there was a certain pronouncement of faith. Uh, And of course, with Pope Francis, there is a certain pronouncement of love. And it's all tied to the significance of the times that they were pope. And in a similar way, yeah, I'd have to agree with you, there's something to be said about uh, John Paul II and the uh, desire Benedict and the design and certainly Pope Francis and and the destiny. Uh, He is reminding us, right, what Paul talked about, that the greatest of all virtues is love because love will always remain. There will be no need for faith in heaven. There will be no need for hope in heaven. But because God is love, love will always remain. Well, and it's important for us to remember that you know, we, we have these encounters with Christ, these eros sort of encounters, and, you know, we strive to grow in, in our own sex, sacrificial love for him. But that isn't where the story ends. We're then called to take that 
experience, take that love that we have learned from the Father and spread it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the great saints of the church, they didn't just hide in their cloister reading theology and, and just do that. No, they showed great love. You know, of course, St. Therese of Lisieux talking about loving in the little things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, St. John Vianney and, and all of the ways that he would love his parishioners, hearing confessions for hours and hours on end. All of these saints knew what it meant to love. Because they knew what sacrifice was all about, right? Remember what that word means in the Latin, secum fice, to make holy, right? To make holy. The reason why we are called to sacrifice is because it draws us deeper into the mystery of God's love, God's holiness. And isn't it interesting, Derek, that here we are talking about marriage, and the word marriage comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to be set apart, which of course is what translates holiness. That being said, Derek, I know there is an important line from Christopher West you wanted to hit here. So, and you'll have to you'll have to give me the Latin on this. My Latin's not as good as my French. Studied French a little bit longer, but um, redemption is rooted in the Latin word redimere, which means to regain. Christ comes as the bridegroom to reorient the desire of the bride, all humanity, all of us, toward the true wedding feast. Yeah, and this comes to us in the context of Christopher West talking about those original desires, right? What are those original desires? The original desires, as Christopher West speaks to it, are are those desires that go back to our original design, right? Back to the very beginning of our creation as male and female, and the original call to be fruitful and multiply and to become one flesh. And so, Derek, these are the desires for what? Love, intimacy, union, happiness— and the fulfillment that ultimately defines us as human beings. In other words, when we talk about original desires, we are referring to those aspirations of Eros in that original state of the human heart before sin. Huh? <laughs> and Christian theology calls this original state the state of original innocence. And even though we've left that innocence behind the dawn of sin, What John Paul II wants us to see is that deep in our hearts, we still experience a certain echo of that mysterious beginning, a certain echo of that original design when Eros was properly oriented. There's a great line here by John Paul II when he says, uh, according to the person who wants to follow Christ, he must come to rediscover the lost fullness of his humanity and want to regain it. There's the importance of that word regain, huh? Well, and I think it's important to remember, in the context of the gospel, what is the one time that Jesus refers to in the beginning? And that's when the Pharisees come to him about the question of the resurrection and marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, if this woman is married, she has a husband, and he dies, and she marries all six of his brothers in turn, and then she dies, whose wife is she? And, and Jesus says, in the resurrection of the life, there is no marriage. Yeah. And, you know, they go on to ask, well, what about divorce? And he, he says, in the beginning, there was no divorce. God gave Moses divorce because of the hardness of your hearts, mm-hmm. which, as Christopher West points out, isn't that good of a translation. It should be the uncircumcision of your hearts. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. hearts are not disciplined. Our hearts have not been changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really what Christ is alluding to, and, and that's something that we should keep in mind. Yeah, and uh, what is circumcision in the Old Testament? Circumcision was the law oh, right, yeah. of, of the Old Covenant. So 
Um, ultimately, uh, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the law of the new covenant. The law of the new covenant is the grace given to us uh, that restores us again to our original unity. And uh, if we have hearts that are uncircumcised, uh, then we do not have hearts that have entered into this, this new covenant, this new dispensation of grace. You know, this was quite the cause for contention in the early church. There's a huge argument about whether or not people coming into the new covenant outside of the Jewish religion, should they then be physically circumcised? Should they have to follow the old ways to come into the new? And I think through the Holy Spirit, the church really came to the conclusion that, no, this is a new covenant. This is a fulfillment of the old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that it is not just a physical circumcision, but a spiritual circumcision. Yes. Not just a physical baptism, but a spiritual baptism. Yeah, that contention you speak of, Derek, is what takes place in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem in 49 AD, where the debate was, yeah, the old law of circumcision or the new law of baptism. And when we talk about law, we have to remember that this is a term that is tied to relationship. I think in our contemporary ears, we may have forgotten this, but the word comes from the Hebrew yara. It's an archery term that speaks to hitting bullseye. Well, if you live in the heart of God, if you live in the law of God, you are striking bullseye, the center, huh? This is why when Paul is talking about sin, Paul uses a Greek term, hamartia, which translates as missing the mark. Why? Because you're not living in the law of God. You're not living in the heart of God. Well, and what do we call baptism? When, we, when we're baptized, we are redeemed. Yes. We are, to use the, the true meaning of the word, we are regained yes. in that original love. Regained, uh, restored, returned, yeah, and that's what it's about. You know, this really is what it's about. And uh, so why does Christopher West pull back, as we talked about, and say, okay, let's look at bigger picture stuff? Because if we don't have an understanding of what we're talking about now, Derek, then theology of the body can easily get lost on us. Oh, yeah. You know, it can easily get lost on us. And yes, it's about eros and agape for sure. But once we spend time with divine revelation, once we spend time with sacred scripture, we come to a deeper understanding that the marriages we are in right now are a sign of something so much greater yet to come in the beatific vision in the heavenly Jerusalem. And it demands something from us. It demands everything from us. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's probably a little bit easier for me to remember what it was like to be single because I've been married, you know, year and a couple months where you've been married, what was going on, 10? 11 years. 11 yeah, years, yeah. so it might be a little harder for you to remember what single life was like. <laughs> I but, don't. But, <laughs> I don't at all, actually. But but this call is, is really for all walks of life, whether you're married, whether you're religious. I mean, really, this call to enter into relationship with God, to enter into marriage with God, is a call to all Christians, um, regardless of your state of life. And I think it's important for us to remember that this doesn't just apply to those of us with rings on our left ring finger, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we are all under this universal call to holiness, this universal call of following Christ and yeah. loving him. Yeah. Well, and it's to remember, too, there's a reason why priests wear rings on their finger, yeah. right? Because they are married uh, to the church. Uh, they are in persona Christi, and they are married to the church. So very important, because... They, again, as we spoke to it earlier, are signs of 
what is yet to come. Um, and we, of course, are grateful for them in Persona Christi, bringing to us uh, the sacramental life, bringing to us that life, Derek, that allows us to enter into a nuptial union with God. Of course, in baptism, we enter the birth canal of the Church, if you will, okay? And out from that, we are confirmed, and the Eucharist draws us deeper into the mystery, uh, that great nuptial mystery uh, that we've been talking about. So, Amen. Very good. Derek, if you had any closing thoughts. I just think it's it's really important that in all of these these big picture ideas that Christopher West is, is taking us through in this chapter to remember that this isn't, like these aren't some sort of way out there ideas. And these are foundational to the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that knowing that you are called to be in relationship with God, knowing that our desires regardless of how well in tune we be with our true desires or not, are ultimately for God and that we are designed to, to meet those desires in Him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that by doing so, we, we fulfill the purpose we were created for. Amen to that. Derek, I wanted to close with some words from Christopher West because I just think he uh, speaks to something so powerfully here. He says, In our broken world today, we experience a profound rupture between body and soul. For instance... There is a lot of physical nakedness taking place in the hookup culture, but we are often scared to death to uncover our souls, to uncover those intimate matters of the heart that expose us as persons. Gosh, that just struck me when I first read it. He goes on, as one female college student put it, I hook up with a guy on and off for a year, and I don't think we ever had a conversation. Like, really, it was just like, see you later. (laughs) I mean, think about this. Is this healthy? Is this really what we crave? I mean, what does St. Augustine speak to? But that our deepest desire of our heart is to see another and be seen by that other's loving look. Wow. As Christopher West closes, this deep seeing of the other sums up well the experience of nakedness without shame. In short, we can say, Derek, nakedness without shame reveals that in the beginning, human desire, that eros, was aligned with the divine design to love as God loves. We will pick up here next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program, or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.